hi, here we are in the city of Los Angeles, city of angels. And while the marine layer looms on the horizon, this is a generally sunny, upbeat city full of dreams and aspirations. But don't forget, this is also a city of crime and confusion, debauchery and death, all illustrated so very clearly 53 years ago. A wandering band of members of a so-called religious cult with a leader they call Jesus has had three of its followers arrested in the investigation of the murder of Sharon Tate and six others. They're now known as the Tate-LaBianca murders. Late Friday night on August 8th, 1969, members of the Manson family cut the phone lines and crept into a home in Cielo Drive, murdering a very pregnant Sharon Tate, along with four others. Then on Sunday, in the early hours of August 10th, the Manson family set out yet again, this time into Los Feliz, killing supermarket boss Leno LaBianca and his wife Rosemary. The killer had scrawled on a refrigerator door the words, death to pigs. Also found written in blood was the term Halter Skelter, which was both a Beatles song and weirdly, one of the very racist motives for all the killing. To ignite Halter Skelter, to start the black-white uh, revolution, Manson envisioned that white people would turn against the black man if they thought the black man had committed these seven murders, and ultimately there would be a civil war between blacks and whites out on the street. It sounds batshit, and it was. All the plan of Charles Manson, a career criminal who turned to LSD and free love, rubbing shoulders with the Beach Boys, before turning his mind back to crime before eventually killing a bunch of people. It's a dark stain on a sunny city, and it's a story we keep retelling, almost like we're all still looking for closure. Quentin Tarantino tweaking the details in the name of catharsis. So you and a bunch of friends like you all live at Spawn Movie Ranch. I mean, there is an alternate universe where Manson did become a music star. I mean, he could write a song. Look at your game, girl. What a but instead, he died in prison and Guns N' Roses did his songs instead. Look at your game, girl. Look at your game, girl. Let's be clear, Manson was a racist, misogynistic asshole. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't explore what happened and try and learn something from it. To try and understand how this guy who loved the Beatles a little too much turned a bunch of hippies into zombie killers. So, put a tab of acid on that tongue, crank up the White Album, and get ready to revisit the Summer of Love, because this is the Charles Manson episode. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you, uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. 
Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. Like our first armchair and dangerous show, which was Ted Bundy. Yeah. Where you don't know when you should laugh, you don't know when you should gasp. There'll be jokes, they'll be inappropriate. Some of you will leave. I'm a little hot, yeah. Rob. Sorry. <laughs> Rob, come out here and explain why I'm so hot. Come on. There he is. This way. Show your face, Rob. It's a really big day for Wabi Wabi. He might leave us in the middle of this because his wife is going into labor. I think Natalie would love to know that you guys know she's dilated, so. And will you name the baby Charles Manson? <laughs> Seems appropriate. Yeah. Okay, I wish I had worn a bib for this because this is gonna be tasty. And as Monica yeah. said, it's gonna be horrific and then I'm gonna make some poop jokes. So we're gonna really dance around, just buckle up. Yeah, it's a pretty dark story. There's comedy to be found in it just because <laughs> the whole thing is kind of outrageous. But I mean, I'm not from Los Angeles. You are sort of? What, well, no, your... come on, no one is. Uh, but I mean, you've been here for longer than me. Do you have any like emotive reaction to Charles Manson? Yes, I was a young child watching 60 Minutes when one of the retrials was happening, or yeah. maybe he was getting pardoned, or you yeah. know, having a pardon hearing. Mm. And yeah, he had a swastika carved in his head. and It's a bold look. It was a strong choice. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really, it was rough. And as a nine-year-old, it was terrifying. And then the confusing thing to me was always, he didn't kill anyone, right? In my introduction, I kind of put a little lie in just to see if anyone sort of picked up on it. <gasps> because he didn't kill anyone. And that's the crazy thing about it. I think a lot of people still think he must have killed at least someone. I mean, chances are at some point he killed someone. He certainly tried to kill people. Yeah. But it's kind of unusual to have this person in prison who didn't kill anyone. He's in there for life. He originally was going to be killed. You know, he was on death row, but then they changed the law and it was commuted to a life sentence. But it's kind of mad. He didn't kill a soul. Is he the only person in the history of death row to have not actually murdered someone himself and found yeah. them? Yeah. It's mad. Well, you got to give it to him. 
He wanted to make a name for himself, and by God, he did. I'll go down in the history books. It feels yeah. like you're too interested in that stat. Listen, like, this guy's got a lot of. He's got a lot of good qualities. Let's start there. <laughs> he's musically inclined. He's clearly friendly. He had a lot of pals. Mm-hmm. Power of persuasion. Yes. Did I say he was a musician already? Mm-hmm. He was a musician okay. of you know questionable yeah, and, talent. I mean, Life started off pretty rough for him. He didn't have a father. His father pretended to be a colonel, but ran away immediately when he found out that his mother was pregnant. So With an evil spawn, maybe. An evil spawn. So maybe the dad had a premonition. He might have had a, I mean, it was probably a good idea to get the hell out of there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a stepfather, and his stepfather wasn't great. His mother turned to prostitution, and he apparently walked in on a bit of that, which is going to probably do something to a young brain. Yeah. Um, watching your mum getting up, you know, you don't want to see your mother making doing a living. That. Is that what you're trying right. to shame a sex worker? Um, it's tricky. Uh, and you know, his his mother. Um, Were you embarrassed when you'd see your parents work hard? Uh, I don't want to get into that. Okay. I don't want to get into that. But, you know, his parents then sort of went on the run on a crime spree of their own, and Ooh. little Manson was just left to his own devices, and he started increasingly getting up to a lot of trouble and ended up in a lot of juvenile detention centres. Can I ask where he originated from? What part of the he country? Was in, he was born in Cincinnati. Oops. Sorry, Bengals yeah. fans. Insult oh. to injury. <laughs> Who? Oh! David's just David learning doesn't about know what football. the fuck just happened. Yeah, so he doesn't understand. Yeah, it's a mystery to me. So <laughs> the parents weren't doing any murdering, but they were up to some crime. They were stealing mm. cars and a bit of theft and that kind of thing. Sure. So yeah, the main thing, like, he did have a tough upbringing. He was sent to a bunch of juvenile detention centres. He'd always escape. He was raped a lot by other boys, and that's never great. See, Ready for the dark. comedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's coming, it's coming. Okay. Um, and then he started reciprocating back at the boys as well. And so it wasn't great. Uh, where's the comedy in this? I'm yeah, trying to think. It's coming up eventually. <laughs> it's coming up soon, I promise. But no, he eventually, after a bunch of stealing things and arm theft, ended up being spewed out of prison into San Francisco in the summer of love in mm. 1967. And that's when he used the things he had learned in prison, like he read the book How to um, Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, the um, Dale Carnegie seminar thing? Oh, he loved it. He loved that book. That's the thing you don't think about when you think about Dale Carnegie, teaching people how to win friends and influence people. Not all people do you want to learn that gift. He is the last person that should have had that book. He should write, like, a blurb for it, and no one has... (laughs) That's really influenced true. Influenced more people. It's the apex of influencing people. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, if you want to look at all angles, which we do. Right, right. He really took that book to heart. Yeah. And wow. he also learned how to play the guitar in prison. And so he was sort of spewed out around all these hippies, and he started to form his family. He styled himself as kind of a Jesus character, attracted people around him, and also discovered the joys of LSD, which is something else he really loved. He loved LSD so much. Like, to what degree? What he loved doing, it's a great little trick where he would give other people LSD, pretend to take it, and then just watch what unfolded. Okay, so he loved administering LSD, it sounds like. Yeah, he really liked what it did to other people. (laughs) Okay, great. Which wasn't great, but for him worked out really well. And again, my only understanding of him is, and talk about mixed messages. So he never killed anyone. He looks like Satan. And then the folks that did all the killing were like very soft blonde hair hippie gals, to my memory. Yeah. Did any dudes like him? 
he got a couple of dudes in there. So like the armchair audience. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Mainly because oh. they liked the women that were around him. Like he'd used the woman to attract the men and Oof. they were all drugged up and they all just went kind of nuts. It was a summer of love. He was out of prison. He was having a great time. And this would be one of those examples where we wouldn't say, well, contextually, he was doing what everyone did. Even then, probably this stunk. Well, no one else was doing that. That's what I'm pointing out. Okay. Some people might go, oh, 60s, maybe everyone lured strange men around with the oh. uh, promise of tripping females. But no, that even then, that was not. He was, I mean, he, he married Mary Brunner initially, so he found someone to marry. They got married and they had a kid, so it sort of started well. Mm-hmm. But then he was like to his wife, do you mind if these 10 other women come and live with us? She wasn't so into it, but then with his powers of convincing and his powers of influence, he convinced his wife that that was a great idea. And so that's where the family started. That reminds me of Joseph Smith. And again, I love Mormons. Joseph Smith, if you've read Under the Banner of Heaven, he was receiving real-time revelations from the Lord. That was his gift. And he was then started making love with many of the parishioners. And then the direct messages from God would call out his wife by name. It's, he just got a revelation. Sarah, you need to mind your own business. <laughs> that ridiculous. There are many of the prophecies are Sarah needs to look the other way, mind her own fucking business, and get out of his way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. he also took a lot of pages out of Scientology's book as well. He loved Scientology in prison, and he really enjoyed Ron L. Hubbard's teachings as well. Great. We're going to leave that one alone, because there are a lot of good things coming together. You just don't know. We're no. very close. Yeah. <laughs> and then... There are landmines everywhere. Yeah. Mormons, Scientologists, who else can we get? We'll come back to this later, but while he was in San Francisco, because him and the girls were getting so many STDIs, they'd always go into the Hate Asbury clinic. Well, hold on, hold on. In New Zealand, do you say STIs? Like yes. sexually transmitted infection? Yeah, infection. Is it here or is it still a disease? Yes. It sounds much nicer to have No, a we disease. don't have diseases in New Zealand. Just infections. We have infections. You don't have any diseases? No, just infections. So we'll come back, but I just want to put a little bookmark there that he was going into the Haight-Ashbury Clinic to get treated all the time because that ends up being important later on. So that's like a little bookmark. So let's remember that. Easter egg. It's Easter egg. Okay. Then he loaded up the bus, got all the girls on board, and moved to Los Angeles, moved around Venice a little bit, and then eventually settled at Span Ranch. Where's that? It's about like 45 minutes north, I think. I've been there once. When I first got to LA, I kind of did like a little tour of all the main locations. So I rented a car and I went out to Spain. Yeah, as one does. I was curious, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Dark Tours, check it out. Netflix, great show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing at Spain now, but at the time it was this broken down movie ranch. Oh, is this in Once Upon a Time? That's yeah. the ranch that Brad Pitt went to. Okay, yeah, great. Absolutely. Okay, great. So he went there, and then he really enjoyed L.A., and he ended up becoming buddies with Dennis Wilson, the drummer from the Beach Boys. Brian Wilson's brother. Yeah. And so a couple of his girls were in town, and Dennis Wilson picked them up because they were attractive. He went back to their house, and when he came back, this little bearded man was there, Charles Manson. He almost looks like an elf, like an yeah, evil yeah. elf. Yeah, elf on the he shelf. He is tiny. He is like a he tiny little man. He's a, yeah, he's a diminutive gentleman. Yeah. Really? He's small. Yeah. So initially, he was like, what the hell are you doing at my house? But Manson just came up to him 
knelt down and started kissing his feet. He did like a Jesus move. Okay. Dennis Wilson was like, this is kind of cool. You can live at my house. He loved it. Okay. He wow. loved it. Who doesn't? And so he let Charles Manson move in and let the rest of the family move in as well. And uh, he would talk about this in interviews. Like he gave an interview to Rolling Stone, basically like, yeah, I got this little guy that lives with me who thinks he's Jesus. He referred to him as a little guy? Yeah, little guy. Yeah. It was his little guru. It's kind of amazing that he wasn't trying to be defensive about that. That Charlie wasn't or Brian Wilson? It's weird when you would say Charlie because Perfect Ten Charlie's here and I can't like yeah. separate He was that. Perfect One mm. Charlie. Perfect One Charlie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. If yeah. we put on the spectrum of Charlies, it's Charlie Manson on the far <laughs> left at zero and then Charlie Curtis on the far right. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I think, would be like, no, I'm tough. Like, he went another direction. Like, kiss his feet. worked. Yeah. 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 I'm just yeah, saying there. He appeared options. how he thought other people would want him to appear. So he could be threatening when he needed to be. He could be like really kind and lovely. He could be like sexy. He could be a bit mean. He could be all the things. Mixed messages. Am I him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Monty Manson. It's ringing a bell. That's a new nickname for you, Man- Monty Manson. <laughs> So he lived with Dennis Wilson for a while. They crashed his car, and he was fine with that. He was just like, keep living in my house, that's fine. Was he too on a bunch of LSD? So they're all like fucking each other and having okay, those crazy. Yeah. The last thing you care about in an LSD-fueled orgy is your car. Oh, right. Yeah, you don't yeah. need to go anywhere. You're yeah, exactly of where you want to be at all for the rest of your life. But this was the point when he was like, maybe I can be a musician, because he's mm-hmm. hanging out with Dennis Wilson. He met Terry Moucher, who was this incredible music producer in L.A. He met Mike Dillon, Bob's brother. He met Terry Garcia, Jerry Garcia's brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a good fable, living in L.A. Just because you know someone who's successful doesn't mean you can be that's mean. Well. That's not a good fable. It's not a good fable, but look. By the way, you're living proof that that's wrong. Transition. You're like living proof that that's wrong. Why? <laughs> I think that was an insult. No, it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> no, you got into our house and you're like, shit, I can do this shit. And it turns out you could. I guess that's right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Probably, yeah. you know. I am yeah. Charles Mann. That's what I'm saying. It all circles back. (laughs) So he was having a great time, right? He knows all these music people. He's hitting the clubs. He's having a wonderful time. Eventually, Dennis Wilson got sick of it. Everyone had STDs, as you call them here. Uh, Thank you for it. The house was trashed. All his stuff had been stolen. (laughs) But by this point, he was also kind of scared of Charles Manson. And so instead of evicting him, he just left because the house was rented. He just took off. (laughs) Okay. And let the landlord come in and evict Manson and the girls. And the place was a mess. But when they got kicked out, that's when they went to Spahn full time and were hanging out there. Which you may know from the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I feel like that's like the image that might be in people's brains. How did he get his foot into that door? Was he paying rent there? No, no rent. Basically, George Spahn, who owned that place, it was like an old movie ranch, he was just incredibly old. And suddenly, these attractive young women arrive and a couple of dudes, and the guys are like, we'll maintain like your horses and okay. we'll take people out on treks and earn you some money. And he's like, yeah, sure, you can live here. Yeah. 
And Squeaky moved in with George Spahn and kind of kept in company, which he loved. She okay. got her name Squeaky because when George Spahn would squeeze, like, inappropriate, he'd always be slapping her on the ass. This sounds like squeak. the least offensive thing that happened yeah. in this story. Yeah, it probably was. But basically, George Spahn loved having these women around and took full advantage. And that's when Manson's whole kind of racist stuff started coming up, because he was also now taking a lot of LSD and tripping a lot, and decided that there was going to be a race war that he called Helter Skelter. One of the things I think I learned about Monty Manson was that she, oh, I'm sorry, he, he thought that How if he, he caused a race war, yeah. that it would overthrow all the systems of power and then that he and his people then would rise out of the ashes yeah. of this. They were gonna lay low underground or something bizarre. Yeah, it got real weird. So initially he was just assuming that there was, without any of his help at all, there would be this race war between black people and white people. Yeah. He envisioned black people winning mm-hmm. and wiping out basically all of, basically every other race. Was Fingers crossed. Did you see the Super Bowl halftime show? <laughs> this would be a great fucking place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was going to save the family by finding a giant hole in the ground. They were going to hide in there while this uprising happened. And then in his like particularly racist perspective, he knew black people would win, but they'd be too idiotic to govern themselves, so oh. we'd need some white people to lead them. Like magic, oh, the wow. Manson family would pop up from their hole in the ground and be like, we're your leaders. They'd be grateful <laughs> oh for it. And then Manson and the girls would rule the world. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was yeah. the philosophy that he had. Sounds like a pretty bulletproof plan. What happened? <laughs> Look. <laughs> It didn't go particularly well okay. because it didn't happen initially. Like, nothing was happening. And at that point, Manson was like, we might have to kick this stuff off ourselves, which is when the shit started going down. Okay. So I've got a little clip here to play. I interviewed a guy called Scott Michaels, who isn't an authority on this, but This he, is he, George he, Michaels' brother, Scott yeah, Michaels. <laughs> But I've kind of got a soft spot for Scott Michaels because he ran Deadly Departed Tours, which was one of those kind of bad taste tours around Los Angeles where they'll take you around to different people's houses that have passed away. Okay. But I really like him. He's quirky. Yeah, you like these people a lot. That's why you're here. So this is him sort of just talking about how this started. So Manson did instruct Tex and the girls to go up to the house on Cielo Drive. Now, he had been to the house before. He knew the former resident, Terry Melcher, and he knew, actually, that Terry Melcher didn't live there anymore and that Sharon Tate and Roma Polanski did. And at that point, two of their friends, Wojciech Vakowski and Abigail Folger, were staying with them while Roman was in Europe. And that particular night, Jay Sebring, who was Sharon Tate's ex-fiance and still friend to she and Roman, was visiting the house. So that put those four people in the house that night. And then the fifth victim would have been Stephen Parent, who worked at a stereo shop on Wilshire Boulevard and somehow became acquainted with William Gerritsen, who was the caretaker of the house on Cielo Drive, which was at the far end of the property. Okay, a lot to take in there, but like those are the main players involved. So it's a ragtag bunch. You got a stereo salesman, <laughs> you got her ex fiance. Yeah. yeah. Also, this story's chock full of some of the best and brightest. You got oh, it's Polanski bonkers. is like the innocent person in the story. 
I know. So, what a turn that took. Yeah. Polanski was in Europe at the time shooting Day of the Dolphin. He was shooting a film, so his wife Sharon was there. With her ex-fiance. With the ex-fiance, Jason Sebring, who was like this celebrity hairdresser. They were still possibly sleeping together. They were, that sort of had a thing going on on the side. Summer of um, Different time. And Abigail Folger was there, who was this coffee heiress. Oh, like the Folgers. Best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. That Folgers? Do you want to do your other coffee ad? Oh, well, there's not a song attached, but I'll end it with that. Okay. The best part of waking up it's Folgers in your cup, each cup with a hint of pussy. There I go. There it is. Thank you. <laughs> it was right there. It was right there. Yeah. It had to be said. The other guy that was in the house was Wojtek. <laughs> <laughs> Unflappable. Oh, Unflappable, wow. David Ferris. Just got to get the facts through, you know? I Just got to keep us on track. Yeah. Wojtek Frykowski was there as well, who was a screenwriter who was mates with Roman. It's like it's a bunch of like Hollywood-esque people. They got money, they're having a nice time. And Manson told them to go there because Terry Moucher, the music producer who he knew through Dennis Wilson, used to live there. That makes no sense, but please continue. I know, it's a lot of names. Earlier on, Moucher had met with Manson. He wronged him in his mind, right? He had yeah. played his demo for him and the guy totally. had heard it for what it was, garbage. Yeah, but okay. Moucher, yeah, and wasn't so he decided to punish the people who moved in afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of arguments about whether he thought Moucher still lived there okay. and whether it was a surprise that he wasn't there. There's okay. a big debate around that. We okay. don't know. But basically, Manson is like, go there, make it look crazy, make it look like the Black Panthers did the killing, write up some like slogans on the wall so the cops will think, black people did this, hence it will kick off the uprising. Hmm. Does that sort of make sense? It's kind of I nutty. mean, in a no. timeline fashion, yes, but not intellectually does that plan make sense to anyone, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. This is what happened okay. when they arrived. It was Tex, it was Krenwinkel, it was Susan Atkins, and it was Linda Kasabian who were in the car that night. Now, Kasabian stayed close to the car at that point, and those three went over the gate, and Tex let himself in through a side window, which ended up being the dining room of the house. Now, Tex walked into the living room of the house, and Wojciech Rakowski was there on the sofa sleeping. So, first of all, he let the girls in the house through the front door, and it was Susan Atkins and Krenwinkel, and he kicked Wojciech Rakowski asleep, and Wojciech, sort of delirious from just being woken up, said, who the hell are you? And according to Tex, he said, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. And he instructed Krenwinkel and Susan Atkins to go into the other bedrooms and round up Abigail Folger, who was reading a book in bed, and from the other bedroom, Sharon and JC bring, and it kicked off with them wanting to tie Sharon up to the rafters. And JC bring said, can't you see she's pregnant? After he was told to shut up, he objected, stepped forward, and Tex Watson shot him and then stabbed him seven times. So Abigail Folger took off running out through the hallway to the main gate, back by the guest house, ran past the pool and was tackled on the lawn by Patricia Kreinwinkel and was stabbed 28 times. Her last words were, I'm already dead. Wojciech Krakowski was in the living room. He was stabbed, then fought for his life. He ran out the front door and was tackled on the lawn and ultimately was stabbed 51 times and shot twice. And then the last victim was Sharon, who was in the living room on the floor begging for her mother and her baby's life. And Susan Atkins held her down 
and said, look, bitch, I have no mercy for you. You're going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. And she was stabbed 16 times. So it got pretty intense <laughs> up there. That's the most gruesome, uh, yeah. yeah. It's Holy full on. So Tex Watson was like Charles Manson's lieutenant, this young athletic guy who was part of the family, like everyone else, loved LSD, loved having a lot of sex. And when Manson said, go to this house and do all this crazy stuff, he was just like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go and do it. It got pretty nutty. Yeah. When you name your child Tex... <laughs> you know... Troubling. I mean, look, if I was in the market to find someone yeah. to do something insane and gruesome, mm -hmm. and I met a dude named Tex, I'd be like, this guy probably is a good lead. I'm going to chase this down. You know your, your name is almost Tex. If I met a dad, It's like so close. I would, yeah. It's crazy. I, I'm clearly Tex. You offer me a bunch of LSD <laughs> and a bunch of fine women. I'm going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> young, young Tex is Tex. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm fearful that I'm making light of this, but the part I hate to say, I don't know if this stuck out to anyone else, is like, 50-some mm. time. that's a lot of stabbing. You're doing that for a very long time. Like, have you yeah. zoned out? Have you lost track of what you were doing? Certainly that's not necessary. I think your brain goes into a weird trancey, just yeah. like... Or even started in a weird place. Well, to, yeah, we, yeah, we can't assume that. That's <laughs> true. Sure, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Logistically, I do kind of wonder how long that was. I do, too. I do, too. Stay tuned for more If You Dare. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for Ooh, it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having Because you were, some... not to out you, you were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Rob and I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> <sighs> But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. 
Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. There was a lot of bad luck there as well. Stephen Parent was this guy that was just trying to sell a radio to the guy that was in the caretaker's house out the back of the house. So he was just leaving when Tex Watson and the girls came and just instantly got shot. So I just see it as like such bad timing. Like really bad like timing, yeah. Awful place to be, wrong time, wrong place. Yes. So that was August 8. And then they went back and no race war had started. What did they write on the walls? Like, um, die they wrote, pigs? They wrote, like, political piggy and death to pigs. I don't know why that screams black. In Manson's prophecy, a lot of it which he got from the Beatles' White Album, in his mind, that is what black people would write. He should have talked to a couple black folks before yeah. he... Doesn't make a lot of sense no. at all. Like, it really doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. This will be a no-brainer for the cops. Yeah. Yeah. You find me a white man that uses the word pig and I'll show you a liar. That's what he thought. Well, are the pigs cops? To all races. Right. No, yeah. I know. It's very bizarre. Mm. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm bogged down in that. There are a couple of other things that happened before this big Tate murder happened. A month before, in July, there'd been like a lot of drug deals that had gone quite dodgy. There was one guy, Lotsa Popper, who was this supposedly a Black Panther, and Tex Watson had ripped him off for this drug deal. Charles Manson goes to his house and shoots him, believing that he had killed him. So a month before the Tate killing, Manson had gone and shot who he believed to be a member of the Black Panthers. So he did kill somebody. He didn't kill him, he thought he had. He didn't, he didn't die. Everyone okay. thought he had died. It was he reported that he him died. should have 51 times. Yeah, he didn't die. <laughs> but so as Manson was talking about potentially being attacked by the black population, he was also out attempting to kill black people. So it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the mm. paranoia at the ranch had like increased so much because of this. And then there was also another killing that happened earlier where a guy called Bobby Boussoulet was sent to kill another drug dealer, Gary Hinman, the Manson family, they were out doing some pretty awful things before the Tate killings. Yeah, it's weird. There was pressure building. It's like they had this, this big political aim, but then also they weren't afraid to just get messy in a drug deal. So, you know. 
Absolutely. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, everything and was on the table. Bobby Boussoulet, do you know that name at all? Have you heard no. of Bobby Boussoulet? He sounds he, like a chef. Yeah, no, it sounds like a dish. Yeah. It sounds That's like right. Even ratatouille. More so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was a porn actor in Hollywood who'd been in this porn called Ramrodders, which was like a Western style. You told me you watched that in preparation for this? I watched it, yeah. It's not great. It's not great. But Bobby Boussoulet was part of the family, and he was sent to kill this guy, Gary Hinman. And he tortured him for like two days. Manson came around at one point and sliced off Gary Hinman's ear, and then Bobby Boussoulet, as like an act of charity, tried to sew it back on with dental floss. Oh um, my God. Um, and then Manson, a day later, instructed him just to kill him anyway. And so Manson's influence on these people was huge. This all kicked off before the Tate killing. What okay. was it about him? I'm fascinated, me being him, you know. I mean, that's why Helter Skelter became such a big part of the trial, because everyone was like, how did he do this? And Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor and the guy who wrote Helter Skelter, the book... I'm so sorry. The prosecutor is <laughs> yeah. also the name of the guy who killed off... Also Ratatouille. ...sewed the drug dealer's ear back on? No. No, no. So that's we Vincent... We got two Bobolosis in this... Yeah, the other guy is Bobby Beauchelet. <laughs> Beauchelet, French, okay. Yeah, okay. and Vincent Bugliosi was the prosecutor. <laughs> Come on! Oh, anyway. Look, I don't believe anything you're saying oh, this now. this is so okay. sim. <laughs> okay, oh. so let's, okay, let's fast forward. So the, the sim was so lazy. I know. Like, here's the characters in this. The prosecutor is Bibble Bobolosi, and the killer is Jim Bibliosi, and... I know, <laughs> embarrassing, Dad. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. It gets complicated. Um, so two days later, there is a second night of killing, and Scott Michaels talks us through that pleasant situation again. Oh, boy. Mr. LaBianca was on the sofa reading the newspaper. Mrs. LaBianca was in the bedroom when Manson walked in the house. Now, his thing was, yesterday, Tex, it went crazy. You walked in and you announced that you were this monster. Manson tied them both up and promised them, don't worry, we're just here to take a few things. We're not going to hurt you at all. You're going to be fine. So they were calm-ish with their hands tied behind their back on the sofa. Pat Kremlingle took Mrs. LaBianca into her bedroom. They had pillowcases over their head, and they tied a lamp cord around her neck, and she started fighting because Tex Watson started stabbing Lino LaBianca, and Mrs. LaBianca in the bedroom could hear it happening. So she was panicking, saying, what are you doing to my husband? And she had the lamp in her hand, basically it was tied around her neck, so she started swinging it around to defend herself. And they tackled her and basically finished the job. Kremwinkle stabbed her, I believe. Leslie Van Houten didn't stab her yet. Tex Watson did kill her after killing Mr. LaBianca and then made Leslie Van Houten take a knife and said, you have to do something. So Leslie took that knife and stabbed Mrs. LaBianca 16 times after she was already dead. And after they were finished at the house, they took showers in the LaBianca shower. They changed into the LaBianca's clothes. They took their bloody clothes with them and they ate food out of their refrigerator. And before they left, Tex carved the word war into Mr. LaBianca's stomach. Patricia Kremwinkle stuck a fork in his stomach and twanged it, giggled, and they all left and they hitchhiked back to the Spawn Ranch that night. Oh boy. I'm scared. Good luck. Yeah, it's a lot. So Leslie Van Houten, who was the one that twanged the fork, 
Can, can I pause you for a second? Again, it's very hard to make light of this, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm sorry to everyone. What did you think, when you heard Tex went back, what did you think was coming? They've already showered, put on their clothes, ate a big meal. Tex went back. To write war. Yeah, what did you think he was going to do? I thought he was going to defecate. You did? I did. Because remember the Golden State Killer? His big thing was he would take a dump in your house. Oh, my God. Really? I know. Yeah. And then would he flush it? Or just, like, on the floor? Willy-nilly with it. It could be in the toilet where it belonged oh elsewhere. Yeah. So I was nervous that that was coming. Because his name is Tex, primarily. Yeah, sure. There was no yeah. defecation in okay, any good. of the crimes. It's the only thing they didn't do. Yeah, the only yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be going way too far. Yeah, it would, yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, Leslie Van Houten was just rejected for parole two days ago. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So she's Are like, we happy about she's that? She's 75, 73 now, I think. The parole board had recommended her to be paroled three times now. The governor always steps in at the end and is just like, uh-uh, you're not getting out. Oh, um, wow. Okay. But, I mean, what do you think? A 73-year-old was, at the time, under the influence of a lot of drugs and a crazy person. In mind control. Yeah. Should she still be in prison? I don't well, know. You're asking the wrong guy because I wanted Robert Durst to move into our house. Like... I have a soft spot for feeble murderers. So, yeah, let, let's let her out yeah. and take her to a beach party, see if she's still got it. Has she shown remorse? Yeah, absolutely. She's now a committed Christian, and she regrets everything. And uh, they all, I mean, Tex Watson is now converted as well. They're all Christians, pretty much. It's what you do, isn't it, when you go to prison for a horrible crime? You convert. That's uh, what everyone does. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing where... Did Tex get out? No, Tex is still in. He is. He's still alive? Tex is still alive. Yeah, okay. he runs a little ministry from the prison. He's, like, doing really well. Okay, I'm about to I'm say something dicey. They're worshipping one person yes. and, and then yep. replacing. Yep. Yep. I'm not saying... You've said enough about the I product. I'm not saying... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Jesus... No, right. ...is Charles Manson... If you already worship a dude with long hair. That's right. Yeah. And maybe you're just used to needing that. Mm -hmm. Needing someone to tell you that part's real. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I did just think of the one upside of having Tex as your parishioner or your parish or whatever. He, I don't know what his thing is. Is he a priest? Minister. Minister. Mm. And I was just thinking about this in an AA meeting the other day, which is like, it's such a great place because when you inevitably tell your sponsor these terrible things you did, they're always bored. They're like, yeah, I did all that too. It's so comforting. And I do imagine the upside of having text is you go to confession and you're like, I ate too much Arby's and then I didn't make it home and I did this in someone's yard. Whatever the thing your indiscretion is. Tex is like, have you ever stabbed anyone a couple hundred times? <laughs> no. You're fucking good. Like, just get on with it. That's yeah. the only upside, I would say. Unless they say I pooped in someone's house. He'd be like, you fucking sick motherfucker. Yep. Get out of my church. Exactly. <laughs> There's only one Manson family member, Clem Grogan, who's been paroled ever. What, what's the name? Clem. Clem? Clem. This yeah. Clem is so Bergen. Outrageous. Yeah, Tex so Clem, Clem and, 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 and once upon a time. 
in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't know if you remember that film, but like yeah. Clem was like the real ugly guy that tried to pick a fight with Brad Pitt. Big mistake. And Brad Pitt just went and like punched him out. Then popped his top That's off Clem. and I fucking squealed. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Why does he Can still look two, like that? Two minutes to talk about him on the roof of that house. Oh. Is he here? No, but Clam oh, is. God. Clam. Clam. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, imagine. Clams with Clam. <laughs> So uh, Clem was at the La Bianca house, mm. but he left. So he wasn't doing any stabbing or anything, but he was present. Then he left with another woman, Linda Kasabian. Do you know the band Kasabian? They're named after Linda Kasabian. Oh. So Linda Kasabian was kind of smart. She went to both the, the Tate house and the La Bianca house, but both times, you know when like, you go to something and then at the last minute you're like, I don't want to go to that thing and you'll make an excuse? and you'll, like, hang outside. That's how I live my life. She did that both nights. Do we know her excuse either time? Also, it was always like, I'm going to just wait by the car for a bit. That's a terrible excuse. Yeah. It worked. Okay. Wow. So she ended up being, like, the star witness at the trial because she was the one that saw everything and was, like, around but didn't participate. She turned state. After the La Bianca killing, Manson sent them off to another address. She was sent to kill someone else, and she just knocked on the wrong door on purpose. She was oh. so smart. To Manson, she was like, they weren't home, so we couldn't do anything. Look, we've all found ourselves in a clique that we're not stoked about, you know? <laughs> she just wanted to be accepted. Yeah, by like, I've moved to a new school and found myself with a, you know... Yeah, not yeah, the right Motley crowd. crew. So Manson and everyone else, they've done their like two big nights of killing, August 8th and August 10th, and they're kind of now waiting for this big Helter Scouter uprising to start happening. So they take off back to Spahn Ranch, and the cops start investigating, but it takes them until December to get anywhere because none of the departments, the sheriffs and the LAPD, are not talking to each other. And so they take them like a very long time to link up the Gary Hinman case, the ear-chopped-off, floss-back-together case, right, right. matching that up with uh, Bobby Beausoleil killing and the Tate killing and the La Bianca killing. Mm -hmm. So despite all those locations having names written in blood on the wall, all like a lot of stabbings, all very brutal, they just didn't link them together they for a they very were long time. Two days apart. Yeah. Stellar job. Took them a while. And there was a point where the police were like, looking for the clothes because they'd gotten changed after the Tate killing when they'd driven back to Spahn Ranch. And news crew got a hold of the timings of when the killings had happened and when they'd driven back to Spahn. And they just went out in their news truck, drove halfway, and then stopped, looked over like the side of the road, and like found out where the clothes had just been like chucked out. Oh my goodness. It was like KKL News or something? Yeah. Dallas Reigns yeah. and the gang, they went, oh my God. Wow. Chaotic. Yeah. So like you had the news crews almost beating the cops in a few different places in the case, which was bonkers. I got a logistical question, mm. and I know it was a different time, but the fact that they hitchhiked home from the murders is still, I'm having a hard time moving past that because there are a bunch of them, again, stabbings galore, surely everyone's bloody as fuck. They're just like young and attractive and charming. Oh my God, okay, well, f moving on, okay. <laughs> like, no one remembered, oh, in the news, a ton of people were butchered. I gave a ride to a bunch of fucked up people, <laughs> bloody as shit, huh? It is completely crazy, I completely agree yeah. with that, and I've got no explanation, it's okay. just madness. Mm. It's not your fault. It's chaos. Yeah. 
There was one point where they arrested the family for auto theft because they were stealing a bunch of cars and converting them into like dune buggies because they were still looking for this big hole in the ground that they're going to hide in. There's another thing I do like about him is okay. that he was they out in Death Valley in these like road warrior type vehicles, Mad yeah. Max style, zooming around for God knows what You'd reason, right which in. is what I kind of do as a hobby. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They were looking for the hole in the ground this whole time that they were going to descend into while this black uprising happened. Yeah. So they get arrested for stealing cars. The warrant was dated with the wrong address, so they all got released again, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. At one point, there was the front page of the LA Times, which had the Tate murder, the LaBianca murder, and Manson family arrested for auto theft all on the front page. But oh they had no God. idea. No one could put that together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it's... Completely bonkers. Mm. Anyway, a bunch of things happened. Susan Atkins, who had allegedly killed Sharon Tate, she was arrested for something else, and she ended up confessing to her cellmate what had happened. Bobby Boussley's girlfriend, who had killed lots of papa, basically found out as well. So a bunch of things happened, and eventually they got them. It just took them four months. Four months. Four months. months. And how quickly did they know Charlie was the head of this whole thing? Immediately? Pretty quickly, okay. yeah. Now, he was boss, he was in charge, but he wasn't saying a thing. In this court trial, was it televised? Yeah, it was televised, yeah. And this is where he arrives with the X's and O's drawn on his forehead? He popped an X on the forehead because he said, hey, this is me Xing myself from society. I'm no longer part of the system. You can't try me in your court because I'm not a part of your society. Okay. That was his That's whole thing. a pretty thing. good defense. Did he also represent himself? He attempted to a few times, and they'd shut him down. On and off he did, but generally he was represented by a lawyer. I mean, the whole thing was, like, he acted crazy in court because his whole thing was like, I'm a reflection of society. Society's crazy, so therefore I'm reflecting you, so I'm going to act crazy. That was his whole thing. Sane man in an insane world must appear to be insane. That was Mm -hmm. his defense. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's what he said? No, but that's a that's thing I, re- I know. I know that sentence, so I said yeah. it. Yeah. Because it sounded on par. Yeah. The other main theory is that it was just a very simple drug thing gone wrong. There's this big theory that JC Bring, the hairdresser at the Tate House, and Wojciech Krajkowski were both dealing a lot of mescaline out of the house. And the previous night, Manson had gone up there wanting to buy some drugs. They beat the shit out of him, and he went back the second night as revenge. What's the kernel of that theory? Oh, look. It's complicated. There's a bunch of researchers that think that could be the case, just looking at the behavior at that house. Actually, I'm gonna play you a clip here because there's this guy, Nicholas Shrek, not named after the ogre, Nick, it's a different guy. <laughs> yeah. um, but he is- But he's his brother. Uh, he's his brother. Yeah, yeah. He's a super intense guy. He's interviewed Manson a few times. And there is this other side of the Tate house wasn't some idyllic thing like Quentin Tarantino represented in his film, but was actually just a big drug ground. It was just party central and it was chaos, and that's what Nicholas had to say about it. What you were sold in court and by the mainstream media was the conspiracy theory. This is just banal, ordinary narcotics trafficking viciousness that goes on all the time. These were criminals who committed crimes for ordinary criminal reasons. Nobody had to be persuaded to kill anyone or hypnotize. Tex Watson and Linda Kasabian, a girl who just joined the commune, were angry at Wojtek Frakowski, 
Roman Polanski's friend who was staying in Cielo Drive while Sharon was in Italy making a film. Wojtek Frakowski burned Tex Watson and Linda Kasabian for many thousands of dollars of a new drug called MDA. And so Wojtek Frakowski and Abigail Folger moved into the house while Sharon was away. When Sharon came back, she sees that her house has been an open-air drug-dealing party because Wojtek Frakowski and Sebring are using her living room as drug-dealing central for Hollywood. And she begged Roman Polanski, get these people out of our house. Tex Watson and Linda Kasabian go there that night because they know there's going to be a big drug delivery. And they were going to go there to steal drugs and money. And basically, they didn't think Sharon Tate was going to be there. She was. They panicked. It was a messy, chaotic, prolonged nightmare of butchery. Charlie, he was a professional criminal. He would not in any way be involved with a murder for some bizarre ideological reason. If there was no money involved, if there was no financial gain, never. This guy's full of shit. First of all, it's not MDA, it's MDMA. Like, for, he's already doesn't know okay. what the fuck oh, he's he talking lost about. You this there. person hates drugs. <laughs> he's so mad people were doing drugs. And it's a big open-air drug market, like mm. a fucking Tupperware party up there. <laughs> and Charlie Manson's totally sane. He just wants some money. Mm-hmm. This is bonkers. Why, would, why, does he, why is he coming to their defense? Because he hates drugs. No, he's not coming to their defense, but it's like this whole idea that's been put out, I guess, is that it's helter-skelter, right? It's like this whole race war thing. Yeah, did they write that on the wall? Wrote helter-skelter on the wall, So what is he sure. fucking talking about they didn't yeah. care about? What? Do you, what? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm impartial. I'm just presenting <laughs> these different opinions. But does he think that someone else wrote Helter Skelter on the wall? No, no, so obviously Manson had some crazy stuff going on, but it wasn't as simple as telling his followers that there was going to be some crazy race war and them getting on board. There was also this drug element. Because remember, the previous two killings with Bobby Boussoulet yeah, and also the one prior to that, they were both drug-related as well. Right. Like, there was a lot of killings going on around drugs or attempted killings before this happened. This is ridiculous. Okay, so that one's out? For me, does anyone think that sounds like what happened? A drug burn? No, no one. Not one clout. Not one, or people are saying okay. one of the two. It was too impassioned for it, was it very to have passionate. just been yeah. drugs. Yeah, when you're going to steal money, at no point you're like, better stab everyone a couple... 50 times. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then write on the wall in blood and rope someone up. This is, yeah. We're going to get extra crazy now and okay. talk about another theory, which, because it is a conspiracy theory show, so I thought it would be good to bring a conspiracy theory yes. in. Yes. So the whole main narrative that we all sort of think of for the Manson killings is from Helter Skelter, right? It's the most popular true crime book ever written. Oh, it is? Yeah. There's never been any true crime. You know, in cold blood, nothing has beaten it ever. Wow. It's the Star Wars of that. It's the Star Wars of true crime. Yeah, okay. It was written by Vincent Bugliosi, who was the prosecutor on the case. And the victim and the murderer. (laughs) (laughs) He was the lead prosecutor. It's a fact that a lot of dodgy things happened in that trial. I'm not going to go into them now. But I interviewed a guy, Tom O'Neill, who wrote this. It is a genuinely incredible book called Chaos. But he talk to me a little bit about why we shouldn't trust Vincent Bugliosi, who was the main person that pushed the whole Helter Skelter narrative. Ooh, okay, now I'm titillated. 
two, three years prior to getting this assignment, he decided that his wife had become impregnated by the milkman, which is such a silly cliche, but he became obsessed with getting the milkman to fess up to it, and he started stalking him. The school had been instructed not to let the children leave with anyone but the parents picking them up. And the little girl actually was picked up by Buliosi at school, brought to a toy store. He bought her all these toys and then he drove her to the house and left her in the driveway in the front yard with all these gifts around her. The mother came out and he kind of smiled and just drove away. You know, it was a power move. But he was in a compromised position when he actually should have been arrested and prosecuted or at the very least disbarred. Then the mistress case, when he beat up his mistress, held her hostage because she wouldn't abort the child that he had impregnated her with. He lied not only to the media about it, it did come out six years later when he ran for office, but he also lied to the police who investigated the mistress case. So he's talking about Vincent, who wrote Helter Skelter. And prosecuted the case. And prosecuted the case. Super dicey guy. And then he was convinced that his wife was sleeping with the milkman. In the 30s? (laughs) Just harassed the milkman and relentlessly, like absolutely relentlessly. Yeah, is there such a thing as milkman? Is a milkman in the 70s? Uh, oh, okay, people yeah, say sorry. yes. No? Okay. Someone's very adamant over there, like, yes. Imagine that's the detail everyone will walk out here, like, remembering. They'll forget all the <laughs> numbers of stabbings. And they'll be like, did you know there was milkmen in the 70s? Yeah. I didn't know that. God, the milk industry has changed so it much. Has. It really has. No one's even drinking milk anymore. It's L.A. <laughs> so I just think it's interesting that the prosecutor, super dicey, dodgy man, He's passed away now, so we can be a bit defamatory, and it's fine, uh, which is great. <laughs> but if I understand this story really quickly, he abducted a child who is the daughter of the milkman? Yes. Okay. Power move. He was bonkers. Like, yeah. He was really driven and really motivated, but did things that were incredibly illegal and uh, just awful. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, I could see where this guy's a questionable character, but still to make up the whole Helter Skelter thing, I'm not sure that I can make that leap. In the trial as well, Vincent Bugliosi did a whole lot of really dodgy things. Oh, it's too complicated to go into, actually. I'm not even going to bother. Because there's something else that's sort of more important, and this is Tom O'Neill's big thesis, because this whole time you're thinking, how did Manson get these women under his control this much, right? Mm. Sure, he was giving them LSD, but I don't know. I was thinking if like, I was giving LSD to people, I don't know if I could convince them to go and like kill a load of people. Like, no. Do you think you could? No. 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 I couldn't. Can- well, I hope I couldn't convince anyone to kill anyone. So while I think you might be able to, <laughs> don't you say that? That's I think not- both of you might be able to. You're both very charming. <laughs> oh. yeah, it's I think a there's compliment. a limit. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> That's the nicest compliment anyone's ever said to you. Thank you, and you're welcome. (laughs) Remember that when Manson got out of prison in 67, he was kind of a mess, and he suddenly, over 67, 68, kind of turned into this charming guru who really knew how to influence people in an incredible way. The Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Center that he was always going to all the time, which I mentioned earlier, this clinic, his parole officer was involved in that clinic as well, but that clinic becomes more important in this clip I'm about to play. 
But Manson was always there. He was always bringing all the girls in because they needed their STD checks and all that kind of thing. And there was something else about that clinic that was very interesting. There had been this secret operation that began in 1949 by the Central Intelligence Agency and lasted for about 25 years, which was a brainwashing program where they were trying to develop the technology to ultimately create programmed assassins who could be programmed to kill people without the knowledge that they've been programmed and then actually be amnesic of the programming afterwards. For 20 years, doctors and scientists and private contractors had experimented on American citizens without their knowledge using drugs to try to get them to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. And a scientist at the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic named Louis J. West, Jolly West, who was part of this program in 1967, West was using the clinic to recruit subjects for an LSD research project called the Haight-Ashbury Project. Nobody really knew what it was about, and that was how West worked. And also, Manson was taking the girls there several times a week for free medical treatment. So they were very well known at the clinic. There was this pattern of West and other CIA-contracted people intersecting with Manson in the year that he transformed from this illiterate con who was 32, 33 years old, who had just been released from prison in 67, into this guru who had a following of people who would kill for him. Oh, my goodness. So he thinks the Mm -hmm. CIA succeeded in training someone to make killers out of somebody. 100%. So MKUltra is a program we know existed. It happened that Jolly West, one of the main doctors involved in MKUltra, was working at the Free Ashbury Medical Center when Manson was going in there every week with his followers and completely transformed into someone that knew how to use LSD in an incredibly intoxicating way. I'm in. You like that? I'm into this one. Is there any documentation that Manson did participate in any of these? What Tom and Neil couldn't quite get to was evidence that they had intersected specifically in that place. He couldn't get that smoking gun, but just the fact that MKUltra was going on inside that building that Manson was turning up to, and Manson suddenly became one of the most charismatic leaders of all time and influence these women in such a powerful way. There's another thing where, you know, Manson has been in prison most of his life by the time he's spat out in 67, or at least, so not most of his life, half of his life at least. Once he got out of prison and he was in San Fran, he wasn't sent back to prison. Like, Mm. he was still stealing stuff. He was, like, Mm. prostituting various people out. He was never locked up again. He was just pretty much let loose in San Fran in L.A., left to do whatever he wanted. Like an informant, the way they protect informants. A hundred percent. Stay tuned for more, if you dare. We are supported by Taco Bell. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is Mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. 
outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Celebrity Cruises. I know what you think. As long as you're on vacation, you're happy. But the truth is, some vacations are better than others. And there's one that's better than all of them. Celebrity Cruises. With rooms, food, and service like theirs, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And you won't have to with all the places Celebrity goes. They even have weekend Caribbean escapes if you're short on time. So visit Celebrity.com, contact your travel advisor, or call 1-800-CELEBRITY and see why nothing comes close to Celebrity Cruises. Ships Registry, Malta, and Ecuador. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored men's warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident, like you can do anything. Whether it's a snappy suit that makes you want to dance at a wedding like no one is watching, or a smart casual outfit that gives you the confidence to nail a job interview. Yep, you should give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse is the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, etc. to your bod. Men's Warehouse features clothes from the best brands in the fashion world like Vera Wang, Kenneth Cole, and Calvin Klein. Men's Warehouse isn't just suits, they have jeans, t-shirts, shoes, hats, and even underwear. The tailoring is game-changing. It really makes a huge difference in people's outfits if it's tailored to your body. You could have a billion dollar suit and if it doesn't fit it looks terrible yeah agreed yeah it's key men's warehouse is everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide so if you need one and you will there's one near you feel like you can do anything in an outfit from men's warehouse visit your men's warehouse store or click or tap to shop online I'm a little hung up on the multiple trips a week to the STI clinic because <laughs> when I was an alcoholic in Santa Monica, I was even self-conscious. I would go to 7-Eleven to get my shit, then I'd go to Savon, then I'd go over to this small liquor store, and I was self-conscious <laughs> about it. <laughs> I can't imagine multiple trips to the STI doctor. It's Well, they were on drugs. I know, but like, what was? How could they not put a, tighten that up? I mean, we did a better job with COVID. I think it sounds like they're in there. Yeah, three, that's fair. Three times the, the, a week. The clinic did see people with other things beside STDs as well. Oh, so other, but mostly for them, it was a lot of infections. He probably was like, "We got to be responsible. Take care of your bodies." Like he made it like he cared. Like a feminist. Yeah, he's your, a feminist. Your body, your choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a stretch, but. <laughs> How many people believe this theory? Just this gentleman, or is this a common... And me. Honestly, Chaos is one of the most like, well-referenced books I've read in a long time. It took him 20 years to write. It started off as a magazine article about the influence of Manson on Hollywood, and he just kept going and going and going. It came out, I think, about three years ago. But there's one more deviation, and this is like a bit off-topic, but Jolly West had crazy influence everywhere, and it rubs up against the JFK conspiracy theory, which I really like as well. Yeah. So if you remember with JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald obviously was the, supposedly the single shooter. He was being led through the police station, and Jack Ruby, a gangster, burst in. My and, favorite guy. Yeah, Jack yeah. Ruby burst in and assassinated the assassin. 
immediately after that, Jack Ruby was like, oh, I had just had this mental blank and I don't know what happened, right? Oh. So the Warren Commission happens. Jack Ruby is due to go and give his take to that Warren Commission. But who does he intersect with just before that happens but Jolly West? No. What? No. And this is what happened he had a, there. He had what? Gonorrhea, herpes, syphilis, <laughs> anal warts, HPV, human papillomavirus. What was he wrestling with? So he was tried. He was convicted. He never testified. Immediately after his conviction, got new attorneys, and they appealed the conviction. And at the same time, the Warren Commission was preparing to finally interview him and learn how this happened, why it happened. And at that point... The psychiatrist is assigned to go evaluate Jack Ruby's sanity, Jolly West. So Jolly flies from Oklahoma City, where he's running the psychiatry department at University of Oklahoma, goes into Ruby's cell and spends a few hours alone with him and then emerges to say to the gathered press that within the preceding 48 hours, Ruby had had a psychotic break from which he might never recover and that he was having auditory and visual hallucinations. He told Wes that he could hear Jewish children being boiled alive at night outside of his jail cell. And he saw other people in the room that weren't there. And Wes said he will probably never recover from the psychotic break. While nobody doubted West's analysis, nobody knew at the time that West was contracted by the CIA to induce insanity in a person without their awareness. Wow, that's, that's pretty that's tasty. Really I like that. good. Yeah, I never knew about that Jack Ruby story until I started looking into the Manson stuff. Wow. Right when we did our JFK yep. episode, this is a part I don't remember. I was completely about Jack unaware Ruby. of this. Oh, man. MKUltra was this incredibly powerful experiment that America conducted on American citizens. It's not that crazy to think that Manson was dragged into this somehow. Why wouldn't he, after being in jail, be like, hey, guys, it was the CIA? Like, why wouldn't you just be like, okay, just so... Yeah, if I'm going down, they're going down with me. Yeah, good question. I mean, his whole thing since he has been in prison is just to be and act crazy. That's his whole thing ever since. So then they made him insane. What happened to Ruby? Did He, he died of a heart attack in prison, I think? Or yeah. prematurely, kind of young? Yeah, yeah, he died in prison. And, but he was claiming to be insane the, up until his heart exploded? Yeah. yeah. He just went nuts. Like something happened to him in that room with Jolly West, pushed his brain over the edge, and he never got to testify to the Warren Commission about why he had done what he had done. We need a whole Jolly West episode because yes. I do think yeah. it's fascinating that he was running an STI clinic in San Francisco yeah. and a psychiatry department in Oklahoma and then went to Texas to interview Jack Ruby. Clearly yeah. this guy has his fingers in a lot of things. Oh, it, no, the story is completely bonkers and it is worth a whole other episode at some point, I yeah. guarantee it. Jolly yeah. Roger. Wow. What? Jo- yeah. Jolly West. We'll do a Jolly West we'll episode. Jo- What I like about Manson is that he does have sort of fans out there, and I find that a bit weird and a bit interesting. And one of them I spent a bit of time with maybe five years ago, a guy called Stoner, and he he looks after Span Ranch at the moment, so he sees himself as like a caretaker and does tours and stuff out there. 
It's and still functional, Spa Ranch. No, it's just like a park and it's kind of empty, but he like takes people out there for like okay. little tours and sort of sees himself as the custodian of this place. Okay. And so I rang him up because I just kind of wanted to know like why he liked Manson so much. I kind of like the guy, you know? It wasn't until I got in trouble, went to prison, and while in prison, I just happened to be in the prison library and there was another inmate in there who was reading the book Helter Skelter. And I happened to tell the guy, I said, hey, I happen to live right near where that took place, you know, from Chatsworth. And I ended up reading the book again in there because I had enough time to do that. And when I got out of prison, I was looking for something to do. I was homeless at the time. I had just been released. I'm on parole. I'm just trying to keep myself occupied. And then I got into cleaning the ranch because I went there and noticed there was a lot of trash. Once I started cleaning it up and really saw what it was, I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Started making these little videos about that. And then someone had suggested tours and that's where it went on from there. So I started researching it on YouTube. The most famous picture at Spawn Ranch is when you see the eight members all sitting underneath that little cave area. That's what everybody wants to go see at the ranch because they know that from the magazine. So that's why when I do my tours, I always save that for last. The main reason why I do this <laughs> was to keep myself occupied and to keep myself out of prison. And if it wasn't for the Manson family and me doing this, I'd probably be in prison. So I took one of the most negative subjects and I turned into something very positive in my life. Oh, good for him. I mean, good yeah. on him, you know? It's a bit of a stretch, but you know. I guess I'm happy for him. Yeah. yeah. There might've been other things he could have done to keep himself out of prison, but yeah. 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 You know what I forget? David is talking to these people. I know. Like, we don't hear you, but you're having to talk to them. Yeah, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of these okay. people. And they... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. That adds up. It's a lot. And since Manson died, there's been, like, a big fight for his body. He had a couple of kids there wanting his estate. A couple of his pen pals have been fighting over it. And I had this weird situation where when Manson died, I was filming something about Manson for the show and I was with one of Manson's best friends, a guy called Michael Channels. And it was just that weird thing where, and their best friend is Charles Manson, what do you say, you know? Yeah. What do you it's, say? I'll tell you, you're him, yeah. you're your buddy. What's his name? Uh, Michael Channels. Michael, so you tell me that Charlie died. Yeah, Michael, I've got some bad news. Charlie's dead. Yeah, you're Michael. Oh, right. Okay. I, I'm gonna okay. be you, but you're Mark. You tell me that your buddy died. That's what you're going to tell me. This is why you didn't go into acting and more into documentary. Oh, I don't, no, I don't yeah, understand yeah. acting. So you're going to say my friend Charles Manson died. Okay, my friend Charles Manson's dead. I'm very upset. <laughs> well, his fight is over. Oh. His fight is over. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Write this down. Did, did, did he, um, was he murdered in prison? How did, how did we lose him? I think he, it's actually a really good question. I don't know. You oh my to... goodness, of all things. <laughs> yeah, I know. You I love was, that was it's can, It's either cancer or like old age. It was one of the two. He was pretty old. Do they say cancer is a disease? It's an, infection. It's, an infection. it's an infection. That's infection. an infection yeah. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. an infection. It's a virus in New yeah. Zealand. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it was like complication. I think it was like pneumonia You're and a bunch of things. You're making shit up now. Now he's, you didn't know, and now it's <laughs> munal cockle pneumonia or whatever. Cardiac arrest. He had a heart attack. He had a oh. heart attack. There you go. Well, I thought it was speculated that someone would kill him for the bragging rights. To be honest, if I was on death row, I would have done it just to call Aaron and be like, you're not going to believe who I killed today. 
Oh, wow. Charles Manson. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah it is a and good story. And you're already on death row. I feel like David got really discombobulated after he had his acting exercise. Like, he got, like, kind of method, and then he had to, like, get out of it. I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah, I, I'm feeling that. <laughs> what if he stood up and went searching for an agent immediately? I, he <laughs> loved it. That was the most liberating oh, sure experience of his there. life. Yeah. I'd love to direct you in a scene. No, so, David, you, I'm director. You're the actor. You're going to say these words that were written for oh, you. I, I hate all of this. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying to me. There's one more thing that I think is interesting. People that are obsessed with people like Manson and they start collecting things. And the guy that ran that Deadly Departed tour that we talked to at the beginning of all this, he talked on that a little bit and I just found this kind of amusing slash interesting. Okay. The first thing I ever acquired were pieces of the fireplace from the Tate house. I went up there when it was being destroyed in 1994. I have a piece of the pantry from the Ambassador Hotel where Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. I have a piece of John Denver's airplane, the tile from the pool that Brian Jones drowned in. I've always looked at things like that as ephemera, I think would be the term. These infamous events echoed off of these things that are very tangible, things you can have in your hand. It's not glamorous, it's ugly, but it's our sort of Dealey Plaza for Hollywood. Now, morally, it depends on how you stand with yourself. It's a whole genre called murderabilia, where people trade or sell items having to do with awful places. There's that guy that got some of Charlie's ashes and tattooed him into his face. You know, there's that. What? Yeah, it's quite wild. Yeah, so... I guarantee Stoner was furious when he found out someone got a hold of those ashes and he didn't get to tattoo his face. He yeah. probably was. He probably was. But yeah, that's a true story. Through a friend of a friend, this guy got a hold of some ashes and had it tattooed into his face, which is certainly a decision. Did he do X's and O's? or? <laughs> he had Helter Skelter tattooed on his forehead. He did? Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. Lord. And with some of the ashes. Yeah. What is your take on the morality of... Well, first of all, what a terrible house to visit. You go to his house and he's like, did I ever show you all these horrific things I traveled the country to see? Yeah, it's take? a lot. It's terrible, right? Wow. Um, the, the one PS and the sort of finale to this whole Manson shenanigans is that there was one more death involved in the whole thing, and that was Shorty Shea, who was a ranch hand at Span Ranch, Manson got very paranoid that he was talking to the cops and that they were going to get caught. This is while he was still looking for the big hole in the ground to hide in. And him and a couple of the girls and this guy, Clem, who I talked about oh, earlier, yeah. oh, ding, um, ding, ding. they killed Shorty and Clem went to prison for a period but is now out. So he lives in L.A. somewhere, I think. So if you have a bummer to a guy called Clem... Come on out! I just think it's interesting that the only Manson family member who was released was a guy. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. It's a bummer. You're a it feminist is a bummer. just like he is. It's great to be a guy. Yeah. But, yeah. but I do now want to bring it back to mm. the things we love about Charles Manson. And then again, that is that he was a musician. <laughs> yeah. mm. He was. He could write a song. He can he write, a, write song a song, and it is, it, it, it is my understanding that you've gotten your hands on one of the songs. Yeah. Um, we are actually going to do a live rendition of one of Charlie's songs. Um, We're going to perform, and y'all are going to help. I would love to welcome Cold War Kids. Back. Cold War Kids. If we could get the Cold War Kids Let's back out back. here. 
Really quick, if I can ask you guys, you've had a lot of career highlights. <laughs> Where does this rank singing one of Charlie Manson's long forgotten songs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when Rob asked us to do this, Rob, thank you. Uh, I was excited and then I knew it was a Charles Manson episode and I was like, ah, cool. And he said, do you want to do a song? And I was like, uh, like I, and, but also like, grew up in the 90s. I had friends that were like, oh, it's cool. You know, he, Charles Manson was a musician. That's cool. Like they actually liked it. And I was like, no, it's not cool. It's too dark for me. That's not my thing. This singing part, it goes with the CIA theory. That was his passion in life. And then it wasn't working out. And then the CIA recruited him. And then he was like, well, I, I mean, I'm not succeeding at the, does, you, know, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, I guess. So okay. we're under mind control and we've brought the music to life, I guess. Yeah. And Jolly Rogers is here. So this one <laughs> goes out, I think, to Jolly. We are so excited to hear this tune. <laughs> okay, I'm going to need your help on this, guys. Can you do it? Okay, the reason I felt like this song was appropriate is called She Done Turn Me In. Oh. It's kind of an outlaw song, kind of like a Johnny Cash vibe, but um, <laughs> I'm going to need your help on the choruses. And the chorus is... She done turned me in. She done turned me in. That's right. <laughs> uh-huh. Easy Do you want to hear the Folgers guy sing it? She done turned me in. No. <laughs> okay. This morning, grabbed my shoes. Well, I ran out to get the news. I looked at the paper, the first thing I saw. My baby's been down to see the law. She done turned me in. She done turned me in. Yes, my baby done left me and she done turned me in. Well, I came down to get me about a quarter to eight. He was running just a fraction late. I hit him for the tracks in a hell of a rush. The seller said, Baby, I hit the brush. She done turned me in. She done turned me in. She done turned me in. Yes, your baby done left you, and she done turned you in. Now, if you got a baby, better treat her nice. Wake up, brother, you're gonna see her on ice. Send her up the river for five to ten. Take my word, she gonna turn you in. She gonna turn me in. She gonna turn you in. If a baby done left you, and she gonna turn you in. One more time, she gonna turn you in. Don't turn you in, she gonna turn you in. Yeah, my baby done left you, and she done turn me in. kids we thank you for potentially betraying your morals thank you so much for coming and being a part of armchair and dangerous cold war kids we thank you david ferrier we thank you monica padman we thank you and the fine folks at lazy boy building custom comfortable furniture for years and years we thank everybody good night
One of the most exciting parts of this live experience was having the Cold War kids. It was so flattering and really made it fun with getting to sing that nut job song. So right now you're going to get this exciting opportunity to hear Cold War kids performing their single What You Say from their latest trilogy, New Age Norms, which is available everywhere now. Please enjoy What You Say. Shine. I'm waiting. 